I'd like to begin this morning with a story of a young boy. <laughs> Mom. Let's look at the book of Jonah, Mom said. And we'll have all of your questions answered, sweetheart. And then go take your nap. Okay, Jonah chapter 1. Living uh, generously and compassionately. Here we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because of its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. And he headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Just how do you do that? Let's turn over to Psalm 139 that I'm sure Jonah probably had some access to, but he probably wasn't thinking along this line. When you decide to run from what God wants you to do, you do get a little dumb, okay? And you do start forgetting things. Let's look in Psalm 139. We'll be back to Jonah in just a little bit. As we explore the uh, omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God, and his omnipresent, that he is everywhere at all times. Here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 139, verse 7. It's a great psalm. Get to know this. Great to read in companion with the book of Jonah. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? That's what verse 7 says. If I go up to heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and if I settle on the far side of the sea, which is exactly where Jonah was heading, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand, it'll hold me fast. And if I say, surely darkness will hide me, the light becomes night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light with you. Or maybe as we say it in a more modern sense, you can run from God, but you cannot hide. There are many great characteristics of God, and we read about them in the Old and the New Testament. We, we read and we learn about his mercy and his judgment and his concern for us and concern of all of the nations, you know, on the earth. We learn about his justice. We learn about his righteousness. We learn about his plan, you know, for this planet since the beginning of time. But with all of these great characteristics that God has and that actually that those who are following him and love him are to emulate and to allow his spirit to produce in our lives, there are three great characteristics, three classic characteristics of God that are his exclusive realm alone. And that is omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. The first means that God is all-knowing. You see that even in Psalm 139. If you look, uh, you know, just a couple of verses, you know, a little bit earlier there in Psalm 139. I think it's about, oh, uh, let's see, in, uh, you know, actually verse 1. Lord, you've searched me and you know me. 
You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. He knows everything about us and about everyone else. And you go down further in Psalm 139 and verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And he talks about how God searches us out. It's a word to dig in and to go down deeper. And God digs into us and he knows us and he knows everybody. He is all knowing. He's also, he has the power to do anything. He's omnipotent. He can do anything he chooses to do and he's always present. Omniscience. What, wherever he needs to be to get whatever he needs done, he's able to do it. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's always present. In Jonah, all three of these amazing characteristics of God are on display for all of us if we'll read carefully and, and take our time to notice. Omniscience uh, and, and omnipotence you know, we can grasp a little bit, but this idea of omnipresence is pretty tough. Why? Because is God all-powerful? Yeah, we can grasp the idea of being of powerful because we've got some power and we got some strength and we can relate a little bit to that. And then also, is God all-wise? We go, okay, I can grasp that one a little bit because I got a little bit of knowledge. Okay, I got a little bit of experience. I got a little bit of wisdom. Okay, I can, I can get that. But when we get to this part about uh, being omnipresent, to wrap our heads around that we can only be in one place at one time you ever figured that out and so even in a tiny sense we can't really relate to that although we'd like to be in two places at one time it would be nice from time to time but God's um, omnipresence is on one hand incredibly comforting and on the other hand is scary and intimidating it is for every human being, once they take the time to think about it, on the other hand, how comforting is it to know that this omnipresent God is not just Lord Yahweh. He's not just the Lord of, uh, who created the heavens and the earth. If we are a disciple of Jesus and a Christian, he is also our Abba, our Father in heaven. And that is awesome. In that respect, we're happy he's always there. No, we're not happy, or we are actually very happy that the IRS is not omnipresent. <laughs> we are very happy, especially if you're a teen, that your parents are not omnipresent. And everywhere, always there. And you, most of us are happy the highway patrol is not omnipresent. Especially for me when I come up on stop signs. I tend to roll through them sometimes a little bit. At least Kelly tells me that. You know, yeah. We're very happy. And most of all, are we not thankful that Satan is not omnipresent? He cannot be everywhere. He can only be one place at one time and that along with his henchmen and his demons. That is very comforting and a lot of people don't understand that. They sort of think Satan is like a junior god, kind of like a high school quarterback compared to Tom Brady or Cam Newton. You know, he's got all the characteristics. He is not as good, okay? No, that's not where Satan is at or the demons or anything else. Only God is omnipresent and everywhere all the time, all-knowing, all-powerful. Wow, I just, you got to at this point say, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. 
He knows everything. That's omniscience. He has the power to do anything. That's um, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's omni something. I think it's uh, omnipotence. <laughs> wow! And he's always present. Omnipresence. Okay, let's get back to Jonah. In Jonah, we see the world's worst missionary <laughs> ever. He's just chronicled in the Bible. Got a whole book named after him, and it focuses on one little piece of his life. Man, I hope there's not a book in the Bible that devotes four chapters to one of my worst days, you know, or one of my worst weeks. That would be a nightmare. But you do see the world's worst missionary. Anybody in here think you are lousy at evangelism? Lousy at reaching out. And if you feel like particularly being, you're a lousy Christian, you got a stinky attitude today, you know, or this week. Jonah's got it, okay? And his call is to go to be able to preach. His call is to go, and the whole nation of Israel is to be a witness, you know, to, to the nations. But he's, he's lousy at it. He's not doing well, you know, right now, you know, you know, in his life. But we can learn about, from the book of Jonah, his struggle, okay, his struggle to try to do God's will. And we just may find, as you read through this book, there actually is hope for all of us, Okay. There is hope for, and one of the beautiful takeaways that we're going to get out of this, okay? I'll give you the three here at the very beginning, and we'll reiterate it at the end. Number one, you can't run from God, amen? When you do, you run into trouble, okay? We'll get to that in just a little bit, okay? Secondly, God can use you even if you're doing lousy, and that's amazing, and encouraging in its own way. And then lastly, God's, even though he's omnipresent and everywhere and all-knowing and all-powerful, even when you're not doing that great, he still cares about you, has compassion for you, and you are still a part of his plan. And that is awesome. But let's keep reading it, okay? Jonah, all right, where's he supposed to go? Anybody remember? You remember those? What city? Yeah, supposed to go to Nineveh. It's, a cha it's the capital of what city? Assyria. Are these good guys or bad guys? Are these Klingons or, you know, who are they? <laughs> these are bad, bad characters. The movie 300, any of you remember that? You know, or see it or watch a clip or something? You see the Assyrians all, uh, and all of their evil and all of their uh, dismembering and their torture. They, it, was a, it, it was the city at the time, 600,000 people, you know, living at that time in the 8th century, okay? It, it, it was huge. It was founded by this guy, Nimrod. You meet him in Genesis chapter 10 and 11, great-great-grandson of Noah, who just happened to be uh, the guy who was responsible for building the Tower of Babel. Okay, you know, not, not, not a completely awesome family tree right there. It was the ultimate pagan capital of the world. They were uh, Israel's dread enemies. They had posed for a long, long time a dread, you know, a dread danger to the national security of Israel. And just a couple of decades after Jonah's preaching to them in 722, God will use the Assyrians to completely wipe out Israel. It will never be the same again. The 10 northern tribes are basically, you know, routed, massacred, taken into captivity. You can't trace your ancestry back to them anymore. It's over. It is done for 10 of the 12 tribes, you know, of Israel. And God used that horrible, horrible, 
torturous, evil, mean-spirited nation, at least the, uh, the, the people who were ruling at the time, to crush God's people when after decade after decade after generation, you know, they refused to listen, you know, to him. But a few years earlier, God sending one of us to go help them repent. Not to destroy them, fully knowing what's going to happen 50 years later. And he sends these guys so this group, this generation, has an opportunity to change and repent. I don't want to get too deep into Jonah, but it actually happens. As the world's worst missionary and lousy prophet, you know, is given the assignment. Why a lousy prophet? You know, well, where was, uh, where was Jonah from? Actually, this is hilarious in some ways. He was from Galilee. How about that? All right. Do you remember the time in uh, John chapter 7 where Jesus is criticized and they say, you know, hey, this guy thinks he's a prophet. There has never been a prophet in Galilee. Oops. They got their Bible. They got a whole book about the guy. You know, Jonah... But he was such a lousy prophet, they either forgot or chose to forget all about this character. Now, there's never been a prophet out of Galilee. Well, yeah, there was. His name's Jonah. He's in the Bible. You should read it sometime. Pharisees. Well, it's, it's amazing that uh, we see God's incredible compassion. What happens, you see, in the book of Jonah as you keep reading? A massive contrast between God's love and compassion for all people, even his enemies, versus Israel as illustrated in Jonah. Jonah was simply a microcosm of that whole nation. They were called to be a witness to the nations, true? They were called to have a very unique role. And that was to worship God, set an example of following God, and then to be a light to the nations and be able to actually help the nations come to believe in God. Jonah, this stumbling, lousy prophet and missionary, actually helps these pagan sailors come to reach out to God. It's amazing there, but that was Israel's role. And Jonah, that was his role to go care. But he did not want to go. You can get some insights into Jonah as you read through the chapter. Why that might be, probably wasn't just because he was lazy or he didn't want to do it. But he didn't like these Assyrians. They were the dread enemies of Israel. He did not want them to repent. He did not want to put the effort to try to help these, you know, these people. And he was just having a stinking spiritual life at that point in his life and not willing to be able to really do what he needs to be. But God's people were called at this point to be examples. They were chosen and they were chosen for a very specific purpose. Now, th this is why... We try as a church to grow in our compassion and our concern for all nations. How can you get a, well, it's hard to imagine in our lifetimes any worse tragedy than what we went through in 9-11, you remember? It was horrible for our nation and many people died. But these kind of things happen in almost every nation on earth where families are ripped apart and torn apart and oftentimes even worse than things that we've experienced. And God cares about all of them just as much as me and you. 
He loves the whole world. He cares about them. And so as a, as a Christian, a man or woman, we pray for the nations, right? And we pray for our rulers. We pray that they'll make right decisions, I mean, all over the world. And, and we have a heart and we try to care about more than just what's happening in Cobb County, Mariana, or the ATL. Or what's happening with the Gators or the Bulldogs or how about them volunteers, you know, or the Falcons or whatever. That's all good. That's great. And we love our families and we love our vacations. But in Jesus Christ, we also learn to care about others who are not just like us, whether it's in this auditorium or they're around the country or around the world and to really care. And so at least in a small way, thank you, God, that you work among your people here that, that we got a little bit of concern for Africa, that we got a little bit of concern for Central America, that we got a little concern for, you know, a, a atheistic Western Europe, that we, we, we've got some concern. We send some money, we send some people, we do some walkathon or play some golf or eat some food for orphans. But it's something. And it sensitizes us. And then we pray and sometimes we go or we help fund people to go out and share the, the evangelism good news about God's love and compassion for everybody and his working to pull all people together and we get involved with that in other nations and hopefully in our own neighborhoods and on our campuses and at work you know and we try to work with this okay um, there are many characteristics that a Christian a man or a woman whose goal is to be like Christ and God will have or will be growing in. There are many of them. Our love and compassion and gentleness and kindness and wisdom and long-suffering and patience and, you know, just our, our care for every kind of person. In Israel's case and in the church of Jesus Christ, wow, it is so clear that God's plan for us is to reach out to others. That's not all we do. But as you go, Jesus said, Matthew 28, you make disciples. That is where Israel was called to be world class. In being a light to the nations and worshiping God. They were to be Olympic champions in that. And as, as Christians in the Church of Christ, we are called to go for gold in that area. Now, do we sometimes wish we had a different assignment? Hey, I do. Well, hey, what are you talking about? You're like a minister. And? I get to be a minister because you guys give me money so I can do this. Full time. We're all, almost everybody, Jeff and I, you, you help support us in this and others on staff while you're working and slaving for, you know, a, a boss, we get to work and slave for our elders and they are so sweet and they are so awesome. <laughs> but we're just people, right, Jeff? I seriously would, I, I would not complain if our assignment in the church of Christ and as a Christian was to be world class in making money. So God would use us that we would, that when we're a Christian, he'll, he'll give us the Holy Spirit so we can make more money and be an example 
that we make tons of money and then people will want to come to church. Okay. Uh, I don't get that much into money, but how about if we were called to be world-class athletes? And God's going to give his Holy Spirit, and that's the thing we're to do to, to inspire the world, is to be the best athletes in, uh, in Georgia. And when you become a Christian and get baptized, you start getting bulked up. <laughs> and faster, and you can dunk basketballs like crazy, you know? Oh my, our church would get bigger. If we were called to be world-class, you know, you know, the point is kind of funny, but, you know, it, you know, it's serious, you know, serious for me. We just got back from vacation. Anybody ever go on vacation and you come back and you go, okie dokie. <laughs> okay, back to, back to work. You can go on vacation, you kind of like it. There's a massive part of me that would just like to be incredibly healthy incredibly good-looking, have a lot fuller hair, like my old hair, you know, to be, have a little bit more money, have lots of friends, be a great athlete, my, work, my knee working again, and then for just people to come up to me and be so impressed with my life, they come up and invite themselves to church. <laughs> and they basically convert themselves. Honestly, if you gave me the script, it would be a lot more like that one than that one. Because that's who I am. I am like Jonah. I know that. Just being around you and reading the Bible and praying and having the Holy Spirit, that helps me be a little more like Christ. But I know who I am, and I think most of us know who we are. And Jonah, again, we just got to get hope for this. And I just really hope, I really hope and pray as we think about, you know, having this, this heart of compassion that we will work with God on this. Wherever we are, we will grow in our ability to reach out to people around us and to care about them the way that God cares about them. He sent his son. He sends us. You don't need to do it in a frantic. You don't need to, 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 to freak out about it, feel guilty. You just need to cooperate with God. Find good examples that you can do along with and to train along with it, but to embrace this. And when we do, and we embrace what God wants us to be, it always goes better for us. Okay, would you like an outline for the book of Jonah? Jeff, can I just do this? For the, I, I'll, only, I'll only tread into two, three, and four for just a second, okay? I'm going to give you a out, simple outline, okay? The, uh, the simple man's outline to the book of Jonah. Chapters one and two. Go, no. Whoa. <laughs> and it's not whoa, W-H-O-A, it's W-O-E. Go? No. Whoa. That's chapters one and two. <laughs> chapters three and four. Go. Yes. Bless. <laughs> All right, you got it? Okay, never say I wasn't organized. Okay, you got it. Now let me ramble. Okay, because that's, that's where I'm most comfortable. Let's go back to Jonah chapter 1 and let's read 3 through 10. Are you ready? Here we go. Let's see what happens. Go no woe. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Verse 3. And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship was threatened to break it up. Who sent the storm? Okay. That omnipotent, 
omniscient, omnipresent God. All the sailors, they were afraid and they cried out to each his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. It's amazing when you run from God, for a little while you can be more at peace. Just try it. Stop being a disciple and trying to be a disciple. And for the first few weeks, it's actually, well, I've got less meetings, less stuff to worry about. I don't need to try to be loving and nice to anybody. I'm going to be myself. <sighs> Who knows? Your blood pressure might even go down for a week. It's kind of peaceful. Whoa, 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 but not for long. Because you have unleashed a principle of God. Oh, he's asleep. How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we won't perish. And then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast, cast lots and let's try to find out who's responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. God can even use a silly game or an incomplete way of arriving at truth to, to point us in a direction. So they ask him, hey, tell us, what, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. You got to imagine these sailors. What's up? Well, I'm running from the Lord. Okay, you got a God like we got a God. Who is he? Oh, he's the God who made the, 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 the mountains and the sea and the sky. And they go, what? And you're running from that God? See, they were polytheistic. They believed in a lot of different gods. If you believe in the God of the mountains, it's not going to bother you that you've offended the God of the sea if you're in the mountains. But these, where were these guys? On the sea. And they're like, you got to be kidding me. How stupid can you be? The God of the sea told you to go somewhere and you're blowing him off and angry and we're on the boat together. That's just dumb and dumber. Stupid. Once again, non-Christians can sometimes be a lot sharper than we are when we're running from God and running the opposite direction. They can also become more righteous than us. If you keep on reading, Jonah says, do what to him? Throw me overboard. Do they do it? Look right down in your verses, probably 13, 14, 15. Do they do it? No, they start rowing harder. It's a unique uh, word there, like trying to row through, row so hard to, to break through a wall. They don't want to throw this guy in the ocean. They're, they're, they're more righteous than Noah is about this, you know, you know about this point. And, uh, and finally, they, they kind of give up and Noah convinces them to throw him overboard. What do you think is going on in Noah's mind? This is important for all of us because these things are written down. The Bible says they happen to them, but they are written down for us. 
That's what the Bible says. So this, this very intentional, this book is in the Bible. And it actually is a really good one because it can help get inside our hearts as well. What, well. what is going on with Noah? We don't know. We weren't there. We were inside his head. Only God knows that. Who knows all, all thoughts and everywhere. He knew he was running away. But maybe he was doing what we do. You know, if I get far enough away and go in the other direction, maybe God will send somebody else. And so he removes his availability. Anybody relate to that one at all? Or maybe he thinks, you know, there are, there are a lot of people who don't believe in God in Tarshish. I'll just go there. Okay, because I can be a Christian there. Just as good as in Nineveh. We understand that kind of thinking, right? And yet what he's, you know, what he's doing, we can sometimes really do, you know, this, is that we can get involved in very, very often good things. And we can get entangled in them. Even good things. And be very busy doing other things. And in effect, not always obviously, but in effect at times, running from God, from what we know he wants us to do. Is there anybody else in this room that relates to me on that point? Okay, this is how our mind and our heart can work at times. And so Jonah may be simply removing his availability at this point. And when we find ourselves holding back, pulling back, hiding from the call of God, trying to convince ourselves we're just busy doing something else, even something that's good in and of itself, we can be getting, unfortunately, much, 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 too much like Jonah. Now, let's go back and finish our reading. Here we are. In Jonah chapter 1, and of course you'll continue reading through Jonah this week and, uh, and focus and pray about it. Here he says uh, in verse 14, they cried out to the Lord, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For, O oh Lord, you have done as you pleased. Now, I just got to say one other little thing parenthetically because... You know, Jonah has some redeeming qualities and some good things. Again, we're looking at a little snapshot of his life. But he was called to be a prophet. God had some confidence in him. And you got to at least compliment Noah on his openness. He was very open. He put some of us to shame on that point. About what was going on. He did not pull a Judas and just hang everything in his heart and not be open about the greed and the disillusionment he was feeling. He was not like Ananias and Sapphira, who just covered it all up and not really open about what was going on in her life. He was open. And sometimes if you vomit the stuff out, God can actually use it to help you. And he really did. In this case, they decide to throw him overboard. At this, the men greatly feared. Oh, I'm sorry. They, they took Jonah and threw him, verse 15, I think, into uh, overboard and the raging sea, what? It grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. Okay, church, we're wrapping up. Um, this is an example of the omnipotence of God. He is all powerful. This was a miracle. 
one of many, several, in the book of Jonah. Immediately, when they threw him overboard, it stopped on a dime, and these pagan sailors started worshiping God. But that obviously doesn't end there. Even something more dramatic happens as we keep reading. But the Lord provided, here's miracle number two, a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. It is amazing what you can read from some writers and scholars and commentators at this point. It's a little hard to fathom that a God could allow for a man to be swallowed up by some great sea creature for three days, sustain him, keeping him alive. I mean, that's a challenge, you know, you know to you. It's, uh, uh, it's a miracle. It clearly is. There are many in the Bible. You're going to have to wrap your hand. And you know, and, and, and you got to deal with the fact that the, God is either omnipotent and he can do everything and omniscient and knows everything and omnipresent and is everywhere or he's not or you got one of these junior gods all right you just got to figure out what you believe and if you do if he can raise a man from the dead after three days being dead and raise up and the resurrection and Jesus Christ himself talks about Jonah and the incident we can just go you know God when you choose to you can do anything and praise God we believe that because that's important when we pray because sometimes we pray for some stuff where we need more than just a little bit of, you know, you know, shuffling the deck. But for God to be able to intercede, God provides a great fish. Here's what some of the writers have suggested. That Jonah really landed on top of a living fish and just hung on for three days. It's possible. Others say he landed on top of a floating corpse of a dead whale. Now to me that's an Olympic gymnastic move in the middle of a storm to do a couple of flips land on a dead whale you know in the middle of a violent storm but hey possible others say he was let off at an inn which bore the sign of a fish one inventive you know writer said actually he was on a ship that was named the fish and then there was another ship also named the fish and when Jonah was thrown in the water when it calmed down the other the other ship named the fish came by and picked him up and then uh, the last one you know the great fish was really the name of a dinghy died tied to the back of the boat well at any rate God prepared a fish right don't know exactly how it happened but we believe in an omnipotent omniscient omnipresent God and Jesus who was raised from the dead and that God often does amazing things for his people and even for you and I. The real miracle of this story maybe, sorry Jeff I'm just going to go into for about 10 seconds, chapter 2, the real miracle is it took three days for Jonah to start praying. That's the guy who's having a lousy week, you know right there and not doing too great spiritually. Hey, the takeaways on this, hey, if you run from God, we run into trouble. Amen? Number two, God can use you and me even when we're not doing great spiritually and can use us to be able to help, you know, people. And then lastly, God loves me even when I am rebellious. 
He still cares for me and wants to use us. Most of us when we were little kids, seven or eight years old, we'd had enough of our parents' rules and we decided we were going off on our own. <laughs> Happened to hundreds of us in here. And we took off down an alley or we took off down the street because we didn't need mom and dad right now. That lasted till about dinner time and we started getting hungry and we came on back home, okay? Because we didn't like all the rules, we didn't like all the restrictions, you know. You know, you think maybe your mom and dad kind of knew what was going on in your heart? Yeah, probably. Were you still their son or daughter? Yeah, apparently so, because when you got back, nobody was sitting at your place at the dinner table. You know, it was still there for you. Suppose you'd ask, or somebody would ask your mom or dad, hey, uh, your son or daughter says they don't really need parents. They don't really need a father and a mom. Do you think your mom or dad would still consider you their child? What do you think your mom or dad might have said? He considered himself your father even when you're acting like you didn't consider yourself their son. It's like that for all of us. Our Father in Heaven's commitment to all of us is greater than our commitment to Him. You can count on Him to be in your corner. You can always count on Him saying, welcome home. Oh Lord, our Lord, what a, how majestic is your name. Let's learn what Jonah learned and was reminded of. God is all-knowing, omniscient. Our God is all-powerful, omnipotent. And our God knows everything, the good and the bad, about all of us. He's omnipresent and he's still there with us. To that we can say, to God be the glory and continue to humble ourselves before this great God.